Welcome to the Byesville Assembly of God podcast. We are a church of connection with God, with people, and our community. Join us each week for powerful messages from God's Word presented by our lead pastor, Dustin Dyke. And now, this week's message. So, we're going to move into the message portion this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 1. There was a man who had visited his doctor with some concerns with his health. I'm not in James 1 yet, okay? I'm getting there. There was a man who had visited his doctor with some concerns about his health, and so they did some tests, and the doctor got back with the patient and said, hey, I've got some bad news, and I've got worse news. And the patient said, all right, let's have it. Just tell me. What is it? Give me the bad news, and then I'll take the worse news. The doctor said, well, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. And the patient said, are you kidding me? I can't imagine what could be worse news than that. And the doctor replied, well, the worst news is that I forgot to tell you about this yesterday. (laughs) Man, as funny as that story is, sometimes life hits us like a ton of bricks, and we realize sometimes how bad the trials are that we're going through, and then we have to have a response in the middle of those trials. And so today, we're starting a new sermon series called James Journey. We're going to be taking a journey through the book of James in the New Testament. For my Bible scholar friends, I want to tell you that we're going to be employing exegesis on the book of James and going to take an exegetical look at this book. For my non-biblical scholar friends in the room, we're going to go through the book of James verse by verse. That's all that means. Exegetical means we're going to go verse by verse and take a look at what God's saying to us through this great book that is in the Bible. And today we're focusing on chapter 1 of this book, chapter 1 of James. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. And when we go through these uh, chapters, um, I'm going to start off every week by reading the entire chapter, and then we're going to go through it. When we read from an exegetical point of view or a verse-by-verse point of view, it's very important that we see the context of all of the Scripture around it. And so that's what we get to do this morning as we read through an entire chapter in James chapter 1. Would you join me this morning? Okay, before I begin, i got to tell you one more thing. Okay, we'll see this in here. But James is the half-brother of Jesus who was also born to Mary. Okay, so James is writing to the 12 tribes that had been scattered, and there were many Jews that had been converted to Christianity, and there was much persecution going on. That's the context. Let's take a look. James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good, and, every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, and forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Dear God, we hear your word this morning. And we pray that we would be doers of your word. And we also pray, Lord God, that you would reveal the truth of your word to our hearts today. And that we would make changes in our lives as we see fit according to the biblical truths that we read. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would inspire us today, that these words would fly off the page right into our eyes and into our hearts today, that we would know what you're speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first focus is James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Point number one is the testing of your faith. Remember we talked about persecution. That was what was going on during this time in the lives of all these people and when James was writing this. But James begins by telling this people who had been in much persecution. He says, hey guys, count it all joy. And do you know why he says to count it all joy? Because he understands that when you have trials that come your way, those difficult moments produce steadfastness, otherwise known as perseverance. It's another word that some translations use. Basically, an ability to keep going even when you want to quit based on the worldly things that surround you. The more problems you have and the more your faith is tested, the more you will be built up and you will be able to handle next time something comes your way and the more you'll be able to know how to handle it the next time something comes your way. For instance, let's talk about when you were young, your parents told you not to put your hands on the hot stove, okay? And listen close. There is a handful of people right here in this room who put their hand on the hot stove. Does anybody want to raise your burnt hand this morning and admit that you were one of those people that burnt your hand on the hot stove nice and high, okay? Yep. 
You burnt your hand on that hot stove, and a lot of us remember that, okay? Listen, everyone with their hands down that did not raise your hand, listen close. These people are the daredevils in this room, okay? You watch carefully, these people, all right? They've got to try it themselves before they believe you. All right, so let's talk about it. When you put your hand on the stove, you get burned, you hurt, and immediately you learn a lesson without anybody having to tell you what the lesson was because you learned it right there and then. You learned a lesson as to how you'll conduct yourself the next time that the situation arises, the next time that the stove is hot. The difficult trial of burning your hand has taught you that the next time you see a hot stove, it's most advantageous of you not to place your hand on that stove. Okay, simple example from growing up years, but I think we get the idea. Every time you go through something that tests your faith, every time you go through something that's difficult and hard, you have the opportunity to grow. You have the choice to grow, or you have the choice not to. And I think it's all about what James is saying as it has to do with having joy through the trial. There's two options in every trial. Have joy or have bitterness. You choose. And if you choose the route of bitterness, good luck, Charlie, because that route is going to lead to a long and miserable life that you probably will not find any spiritual growth in because you've chosen a road of bitterness. However, if you choose joy in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your pain, You'll find that growth is possible, and you'll be able to be prepared for the next trial that comes your way. And you might say, oh, but that guy on stage has no idea what I've gone through. He has no idea. And you know what? You're right. I don't know what you've gone through. Now, if you have gone through something, I'd love to hear about your, your struggle because I want to be there for you in the middle of your pain, but I will say that you're right. I don't know in full, even if you tell me what you've gone through, I don't really know what you've went through because I didn't go through it myself. But I do know what my God has done for me. And the same thing that he's done for me, he's done for you. And so what I can tell you is that he can give you joy in the midst of your trial, just like he gave me joy in the midst of my trials, but you have to choose joy. And the only way that you're going to have the strength to choose joy, because there's some people that are thinking that's absolutely impossible, there's no way I can choose joy. The only way you're going to choose joy is from the strength that comes from Jesus Christ alone to give you the strength to have joy. There's Psalms all over the book of Psalms. David's talking about, God, I don't even have the strength to worship you. I don't even have the strength to be happy, the strength to have joy. God, I need your help to have joy. That's a biblical truth. Find joy in Christ and in Christ alone. And these verses that we just read say that if you allow steadfastness or perseverance to have its full effect, you'll be complete and you'll lack nothing. How many of you want to live a life that is lacking nothing? Yes, I want to live a life that is lacking nothing. And that's only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We confess our sins to him. We ask him to be the Lord of our life. And he transforms us from the inside out. And then all of a sudden, trials that come up in life have a different flavor to them. Oh, they're still hard. Yeah, they're still hard. But they've got a different flavor. Because you've got the joy of knowing, verse 12, that by the way was a major portion of our last series. It just so happens to be in the first chapter of this series. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You can be changed and transformed by Jesus. Choose joy in the middle of your trial. When you found Jesus, you found everything that you need. Moving forward in James 1, verses 5 through 6. This is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Point number two is pray for wisdom. Anyone lack wisdom in here today? Okay. Yeah. My hand raised included, right? I think if you don't feel like you lack wisdom, we at least have at some point or another. And we need help from an outside source. If you think you're the wisest person, you're also very mistaken. But we'll pray for you and we'll pray for wisdom okay, for you today. Biblical illustrator commentary talks about how there are some people that are experts in world history. Then there are people that can debate the most difficult psychological theories of the human mind. And then there's people that can speak fluently six or seven languages. And there's people who are geniuses. And some of those same people lack exactly what is mentioned here in James 1 verse 5. Wisdom. Wisdom. You can be the smartest genius that ever walked the planet and still not have wisdom. You can have a 4.0 GPA in your doctorate of doctorates, and you still may not have wisdom. Now, you can have wisdom and still do all these things I listed, be very smart and have the PhDs and everything that, that you have, but just because you can do all those things doesn't make you wise. It just makes you smart, which is good, very good, because a lot of times the people that have gotten doctorates may very well need that for the field and the profession that God has called them to, or they got it for their own educational experience, whatever, and that's great. Of course, I am a huge supporter of continuing education, but wisdom is something to be acquired as well. And if you're looking for wisdom, you need to ask God. And then this verse says that He gives generously to all, but you have to ask. And if you're going to ask God for wisdom, that takes humility. Because that's declaring to God, I can't do this on my own. And that's a pretty humble statement to say. Because I don't know about you, but I've had some pretty good ideas as to how I want to live my life or how I want to handle a situation. All to realize that I need to give that situation or my life over to God and ask Him for His help. I need His help. And if you need wisdom, you got to ask God. And it says that if you ask God for wisdom without doubting, because again, if you doubt, you're like a wave that's tossed by the wind. Ask for wisdom, have faith for it, and receive it. Ask God for wisdom, have faith for it, and receive it. I ask God for wisdom constantly because I can't be a, a Christian without wisdom. I can't be a husband without wisdom. I can't be a dad to my sweet boys without wisdom. I can't be a pastor without wisdom. I need God's help. And I ask God for wisdom because I can't do this on my own ability. And I recognize that. I'm just going to be straightforward with you this morning. One of the excuses that I had for God when I felt Him calling me to be lead pastor at this church was that I felt I was too young. 
And then I told God all this, but the God who calls someone also equips that person for the ministry, and I stand before you a young man. I really am. I'm 27 years old. A lot of people think I'm at least 30 or whatever, and that's fine, but I'm 27. It is what it is. Some of you are my grandparents' age. That is what it is. A lot of you love our kiddos like family. It's amazing, and we love that. But I am. I'm, I'm young, but I stand before you, a person who's called to ministry. And God has to give me wisdom if I'm going to do that. And I, have had, and I had to ask him for it. I don't lead this church based off my own knowledge or strength. I lead this church based off of wisdom that God imparts to me, not just every day, but the wisdom that God imparts to me every moment because I realize my inability to do anything without Christ. I need it all throughout the day. I recognize my inability. And I also don't lead this church based off of past experience because, as is very evident, my experience really doesn't add up as much as compared to some pastors who are twice or three times my age. You know, the average age of an Assembly of God ordained minister is around the age of 55. And I rank about 30 years younger than that. Again, all these excuses I gave to God. God, I'm way too young for this, but that doesn't matter to God. And the point I'm trying to make with this is that your excuses that you have about your life and about the calling that God has for you, those can stop right now because God doesn't need your excuses about whatever it is. He needs your yes. He doesn't need your excuses. He needs your yes. So when you feel that God is laying something on your heart to do something for him, no more giving God excuses. God will give you the tools that you need to carry out whatever he's calling you to do. This totally goes into what I just talked about during our worship time this morning. God's calling somebody in this room. God's calling somebody. And it's time that you lay your excuses down. Is he calling you to the ministry? No more excuses. Is he calling you to change jobs? No more excuses. Is he calling you to give money to somebody that he's laid on your heart? No more excuses. Is he calling you to go back to school and pursue the degree that you're passionate about? No more excuses. God will give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. God doesn't need your excuses. He needs your yes. Let that sink in and take that with you today. That's a if you don't hear anything else today, hear that. God doesn't need your excuses. He needs your yes. Have a great day. No, <laughs> we're not done. <laughs> James 1.11. James 1.11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Point number three, pursue God, not riches. Now, we're going to take a look at this from the context of why it's written today. Many people can take these kinds of verses and skew them to mean what they're not. Let's look at what God says. Hebrews 13 also tells us to keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So, if you pursue riches for your own good, you'll quickly find that you'll never have enough. There's always going to be something more that you'll want or some more money that you need in your eyes. It's all about perspective. So what Hebrews 13 says is be content with what you have. And what uh, this verse says in uh, James chapter 1, verse 11, it's saying that the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The midst of his pursuits. So be content with what you have. That bigger car won't make you content, maybe for a second or two, but it won't make you spiritually, long-term content. That bigger house won't make you content. James uses some examples of looking at how the sun's heat makes the grass wither. You ever had brown grass in the summer? Okay, because it's so hot and we haven't had a rain for a few weeks or whatever. Okay, 
that same idea, you know, the flowers fall when the sun, you know, comes down on it and, and, and uh, squelches it. I've tried to, to grow tomatoes, uh, cherry tomatoes and other things, and sometimes the sun scorches it, um, and, and it's not in the right part of the house. You know that there's, it, uh, there's so much to planting stuff and gardening, I just don't know everything. I try, and most times I fail because I don't do enough research, but what I do know is that there's some plants that are good to be in full sun all day long, some plants that are good to be in just a little bit of sun for half the day. You know, a lot of times, if you look on the back of that seed packet that you get at Walmart, it'll tell you, you know, all that. I can't, I don't just don't read the fine print. I think, okay, I'm just going to make a hole here, and I'm just going to drop these seeds in, cover that up, and just try and water it every day and see what happens. I need to talk to some of my gardening friends. You might teach me a thing or two. Um, but I will tell you that there are some plants that get scorched by the heat. Okay. The flowers fall, the beauty perishes, and in the same way, the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now hear me, I'm not telling you that you have to sell all that you have and go broke. That's not what Scripture is saying. That's really not even being a good steward. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about the amount of money here. It's really not. The core of this verse is looking at the heart, not at the amount of money. Specifically says that the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits, it's about the pursuits. What are you pursuing? What is the inside of your heart that you can't get off your mind? What are you always thinking about? What's that thing that you always have to have? In the midst of your pursuits, if all you think about is money, you're going to go down a road that has no end. There will never be enough. I've seen stories about men who have owned thousands of properties and people that had billions of dollars, and they get to the end of their life with all of this, and they're still not content. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Lamentations, talks about, ah, let me tell you, Ecclesiastes, help me out, Pastor Black, I'm going on blank here. He talks about everything is worthless. Ecclesiastes, yes, thank you. And then there's also Lamentations he wrote too, right? No, okay. Jeremiah, thank you. So we're talking Ecclesiastes, and that's, that's uh, what Solomon wrote. And he talks in there about how much riches he has, how much wealth he has, and how it's just, at the end of his life, meaningless. It's not about the money here. We see that from the example of Solomon. We see that right here in James. We see that in the author of Hebrews. We, we see that it's not about going after all this money because there's never going to be enough. On this same point, let's take a look at verses 12 through 15. In James 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Of course, we know that's, that's one of the core verses from our last series. But going on, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin it, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Okay, sometimes we blame God for temptations. We shouldn't, but sometimes we do. And it's a road that we don't want to go down. We know that it's our own desires. As we read in here, it's really our own desires that lure us. We also know biblically that there is Satan. He, it is the devil who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. The enemy comes to steal. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. But what is it saying here that our desires lure us? Well, you know, 
What, what's going on in the heart oftentimes come out, comes out through our mouth, sometimes comes out through our thoughts and whatever else. And so we've got to understand that, of course, the influence of the devil is around us, but it's our desires because we were born into a world of sin. And when the desire is conceived, if you do anything with that temptation, it can give birth to sin. And then sin brings forth death, actually eternal death in hell. And so the point is, when we go after riches and all the temptations that go along with that, it's a road we don't want to go down. And if you're tempted, begin to bring this up with God and ask Him to cleanse your heart of those desires. Let God, let God clean you up. Please hear me. There's many pastors who will go down this road and say, money's bad, sell all you have. That's not what I'm saying. Money's fine, okay? Money is. We need money to live, okay? That's this world we live in. But where's your heart? Is that the focus of this? Is where's your heart? And are you only after money? Or are you after, are you after a heart of God? Are you after God? Are you after everything that He has for you? Money's not the problem, but sometimes our heart is. James 1, 17 to 18 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Point number four is gifts from God. Sometimes we believe that our finances and earnings that we have in this life are because of how great we are. Again, talking about going down the road of being rich and getting a lot of money. But we realize as we look further into it that everything we have is a gift from God everything. They are all blessings from God Himself. These verses also say that God brought us forth by the word of truth, meaning the gospel. And as He did this, we are kind of first fruits of His creatures. Christ's work covered all our sins, and that's the gift that He's talking about. Yes, the gifts of good things in your life, those are fine and, and good, but, but the gift of the gospel, the gift that He brought us forth by the word of truth, that's the gospel. Christ's work covered our sins. He paid the price for our sins, and we are to Him His prized possession. We are God's prized possession? God, you're my prized possession. I mean, you are so good. You are everything to me. You have done so much for me. God, I, I praise you. You are, you are worthy of the glory. You are worthy of the honor, and I am nothing without you. So, Lord, you are the prized possession. But what he's saying here is we are to him as Christians a prized possession. You are loved today. You are loved today. If you came to church thinking that you're not loved, if you came to church feeling this sense of worthlessness, this sense that you don't belong, this sense that no one cares. First of all, I care. But second of all, you are God's prized possession. Let's not take that lightly. The best gift that God gave us is in Jesus Christ himself. And as you accept him as your Lord and Savior, oh, you are a prized possession. The book of Ephesians calls us his inheritance his inheritance in the saints that God celebrates because he gets us. I don't get it. We are nothing without Christ, but Christ has this view that we are so special to him. Wow. 
As God sent His Son to redeem the world from their sins, you were given the gift of eternal life if you believe. This is the best gift we could have ever received. Thank you, God. James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Point number five is be a doer. We could read the rest of this chapter and, you know, go through it, but I'm going to tell you that it's summed up in these words, in this verse. Be doers of the word. Verse 19, verses 19 through the end of chapter 1 talk about putting away filthy words from your mouth, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and things like this. It mentions that anger does not produce the righteousness of God and all the like. But all these great things cannot happen without first being a doer of the word and not just a hearer of God's word. My grandfather, when he was my pastor growing up in our church in Wisconsin, it was, he served there for about 34 years faithfully, before I was born and even after I went into college and everything. And he would always tell us this famous verse out of James 1.22, we have to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. We have to be doers, and this just reminds me of when he would speak this all the time, and it really stuck with me. If you read the Bible, God's Word, and if you pray, and you seriously consider what God wants to speak to your heart as you read the Bible, then your attitudes, your actions, your words will change to being more pure and godly. That's the truth, because when you reflect on this, God imparts His Word into your heart. And then there's times that you're going to be going through a difficult circumstance and you're going to wonder what you're going to do or what you're going to say or how you're going to handle yourself or whatever. And God's Word is in your heart and it comes alive to you. And when it comes alive, then you're, no, you're able to know how to handle different situations that come up. So don't just be a hearer of God's Word, be a doer. So that's why I say the rest of this chapter is summed up just in James 1.22. If you read the Bible, you'll understand this. Now, does this make you a perfect person? By no means. But at the very least, the things such as getting rid of filthy things from your mouth, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, all these things, these will just kind of be a natural part of your being because all those things I listed are very good attributes of God. This is how God is, and I want to do what's God, what God's Word says, so I have to read it. I have to understand it and ask the Holy Spirit to inspire me as I read. It's called Holy Spirit inspiration as we reflect on what God is speaking to us through His Word, and then my attributes will change to be more like Christ. That's what I want. I need that. I need that in my life. James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Again, this confirms the idea that you might think that you're a religious person, which by the way, I don't think of myself as a religious person. I think of my connection with God as a relationship rather than a religion, so let that speak to you as it will. But you might think that you're good with God and that you're some religious person, but if you can't control yourself, if you can't control your attitudes, like it was saying in here, then your religion is worthless. That's harsh. Why does it have to be harsh? It's, but it's not my words. This is what the Word of God says. If you don't control your tongue and you think you can say whatever you want, you're fooling yourself and you're fooling your relationship with Jesus. That made me think, God, how have my words been? God, what have I said? 
And it's, by the way, not always about what you say. It's about the way that you conduct yourself, too. You know, there's always times, you know, Hannah and I are talking about different things. And, you know, we'll, we'll be, I'll be frustrated at her or she'll be frustrated at me and I'll say something. And she's like, uh, are you going to rephrase that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I said, actually, no, I'm not going to rephrase it. I shouldn't do this. But no, I'm not going to rephrase it because I said what I meant and I, I didn't say anything mean. She's like, no, you may not have said anything mean, but it was the way you said it. So why don't you change it? She's pretty strong about those kinds of things. And so... Then I've got to reflect. And listen, when you, when you reflect, most often when someone else tells you, hey, it wasn't what you said, it was how you said it, most of the time they're right because really we all want to be nice to people, okay? We all want to be joyful. We all want to be kind, okay? And oftentimes if you're not kind, you don't know it. And so it takes another person coming in and telling you. And so if there's ever a response that seems snippy to Hannah, she'll tell me, you need to change that. Well, it's not what I said. Yeah, well, it's how you said it, so change it. And so I got to constantly review that about myself. I got to control my thoughts, control my things that come to mind, and not be a reactor. Because when you're a reactor, it's kind of like some of the kings I see in the Old Testament, King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, you're not going to bow down to me? Okay, guys, we'll throw you into the fiery furnace. Reactor, okay? Let's think before we speak. Let's think before we act. And that's how God wants us to be, but Religion, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, that's kind of a really, a really neat thing there. Not just in this book does it talk about um, ministry to widows and orphans, but it talks about that in many areas in our life. And so those are a, a few very positive things to incorporate in your life. The widows and orphans, the afflicted, the people that have gone through a lot. We need to be there for them. Um, but even those things that I mentioned come into play when you do James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So read the Bible and soak in it and pray to God and do your best to understand it. And if you don't understand, ask questions to someone who knows more about the Bible than maybe you do. That's okay. That's good. We have to grow. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. We're never going to figure this all out. All, you know, in this lifetime. God's going to share it with us as we enter into eternity. And there's going to be some unanswered questions. There's a lot of answers that we can find in here. A lot of answers that we can find as we talk to someone else about the word. But we need to grow. And as we grow in our understanding of God's word and in prayer, then we apply it to our lives. The rest of these things will fall in place so that we can become more like Christ. Amen? Kendra, would you come forward to the piano this morning? I just want to take a few moments and respond to what God's speaking to us today. I believe it's important, by the way, to take the scriptures in context. That's why we read the whole chapter. But also to take a time of worship and reflection to apply this to our life. Because I don't, I don't want to just know these words. I don't want to just hear them, as James 1.22 says. I want to be a doer. And so God, help me to be a doer of your word. Lord, I need your help because I mess up a lot. I think many of, us, many of us in this room could identify with that. Lord, I mess up a lot. Need your help. Need your help to be a doer of the word. Can't do this life without you. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. 
First of all, as we look at the first point today about how our faith is tested, we cannot expect to go through life without a relationship with Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I accepted Him into my heart years ago, and I need His help daily. So what about you? Colossians 2, verses 13 through 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful for His word that He nailed your sin to the cross? I thank God every day that he nailed my sin to the cross. And I don't have to go back. And I can live in the freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom to live for Jesus. That's the freedom you can have today. All of us were or are dead in sin. And if you haven't accepted Christ, then you are dead in sin. But God sent His Son Jesus to forgive us of our sins. He died on the cross now, and He rose from the dead, and now we can have relationship with Him and live a life free of sin through the help of the Holy Spirit. Those who accept Jesus Christ receive eternal life in heaven with Jesus. This morning, would you bow your head and close your eyes and reflect on where you stand your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you recommitted your life to Him at communion time. Awesome. Very good. Excellent. But maybe you haven't done it yet and you decide, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Make that decision today. And as you make that decision right now, I'm going to pray a prayer that I would ask that everyone in this room repeat after me. This prayer doesn't save you. However, Believing the words of this prayer, believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confessing your sin to Him, that's what saves you. So let's pray this morning and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Help me to turn from my sin and live for you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I accept you into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I would ask that if you've made that decision, come talk to me afterward because we don't want you to just leave without discussing this and talking about, first of all, the great celebration that it is, but also the opportunity that you have to grow in your new faith journey. Additionally, as we close, would you stand Nothing compares to the promise we have in Jesus Christ that we will one day be in heaven as we believe in Jesus. That makes the struggles on this earth have a different flavor, kind of like I mentioned before. If your faith is being tested today and you find yourself struggling with words or struggling to control your actions or whatever or being a doer of God's word, I want to pray for you this morning that God would truly transform the heart And that we would this morning ask God how we can apply this to our lives. Let's pray today. Dear God, you know each of our situations. You know what each of us has walked into this church with today. And I pray that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We'd be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be able to move forward with joy in the midst of our trial today. 
for those of us that have accepted you as our Lord and Savior, that we would move forward in that new relationship with you, with joy and with confidence today. God, we surely cannot do this life without you. We pray, Jesus, that you would give us strength in our trials today. We pray that you would give us strength to be in your word and to be people, men and women of prayer, men and women who soak in God's word every day. And ultimately, Lord, that we would be able to be witnesses in our, in our village here in Byesville, in Guernsey County and surrounding. Use us to be disciple makers in the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening this week. If this program has been a blessing to you, we hope you will reach out and connect with us online at our website at buysvilleag.org or connect with us on our social media platforms. On Facebook, it's Buysville Assembly of God or on Instagram, it's at Buysville AG. Have a wonderful week.